Hi, this is Lisa Borders. Welcome to my new podcast, Enlightened. I'm so glad to have you here. In this season, there will be two types of episodes. One where I share my story and pass on the insights of my own journey, and another where guests share enlightening moments born from overcoming adversity in their lives. We want you to be inspired to meet any challenge you may be facing with confidence, courage, and trust. As a society, we are in a collective reset, moving towards a more equitable and harmonious world. I'm confident these stories of perseverance and growth will warm your heart, ignite your soul, and motivate you to co-create this new world. Some of my favorite moments come from leader and New York Times best-selling author Stacy Abrams. I grew up in Mississippi. My mom was a librarian. My dad was a shipyard worker. I am the second of six kids. We sort of divide naturally into two categories. They're the older three and the younger three. We were each assigned a child to be responsible for. I had Richard. Richard's five years younger than I am. You basically were the go-to person for that younger child. I tease Richard because when we were younger, there was only two television stations. You had ABC or PBS. For anyone under the age of 40 listening to this, this is back when cartoons came on Saturdays at 7 a.m. and they were done by noon. Richard loved cartoons. He actually is a comic book aficionado. You name the universe, he can tell you all of the characters. And he was my charge. Richard would come into my room at the crack of dawn on Saturday mornings and poke me. <laughs> and I'd open my eyes. It's Saturday. I've gotten through the school week and he's just standing there. He's like, cartoons. I'm like, they're not on, Richard. Cartoons. I'm like, Richard, they're not on yet. And he would just stand there by my bed like a wraith just <laughs> staring at me. And I'm like, fine. So I get out of bed and I take the top cover and I'd go in the living room with Richard, and I'd turn on the TV, and there was nothing but fuzz. That little boy would sit on the carpet in front of the TV and just stare at the static until the cartoon started. But I couldn't leave him in there by himself because he was too little. So I'd have to lay on the couch, and I just remember pretty much every Saturday where we weren't out volunteering, or even before we would go to volunteer, I would have to be up before 7 a.m. so Richard could stare at the fuzz and watch the cartoons. But I realized in retrospect, that was part of my job. My job was that he was mine to make certain he was taken care of. And it's a relationship that's lasted. We, I mean, we're all very incredibly close, but you know, I have a special bond with Richard. I think part of it is vengeance. One day will be mine for the hours <laughs> missed, but he's a remarkable man. And it encapsulates how my family operated, that we had this sense of obligation to one another the sense of responsibility. And we have these shared experiences. We would go volunteer because my parents believe that our relative poverty did not excuse us from responsibility. I know your parents were the same and they would take us out to volunteer. They would take us to soup kitchens and to youth shelters and we would go to youth detention centers. They wanted us to be not just a part of community, but to understand our responsibility in community. Mm-hmm. And in the process, I think they built in all of us this inexorable commitment to service, to doing what we can. Richard is the perfect example. Richard works with the disadvantaged and the marginalized, especially men who are dual diagnosis and who need help. And it's a perfect example of how my parents raised us. 
WNBA superstar Elena Deladon. My diagnosis of Lyme disease and having a chronic illness and yeah. being in a position where I don't your whole life you grow up thinking if I get sick, I'm gonna go to a doctor and they're gonna tell me what's wrong and they'll fix it. That's how it works. Where with Lyme, things were so different and I was so sick and I went to probably over 15 doctors and they were all giving me different answers. Many of them were saying it was all mental. It was all in my head. And I was just thinking I was sick. So to be in a moment like that and to feel the worst I've ever felt and to just be so exhausted and ill and to have somebody not believe me was some of the hardest points of my life. And I think that's something that I try to take to life now is like, if somebody is telling you they feel a certain way, or if somebody is reaching out because they need help, believe them first that I don't mm-hmm. know why you would ever think not to, unless they've given you many reasons not to, and they've lied to you and done something to you. But most people, if they're reaching out or they're telling you something and they're being vulnerable, that's true. And you need to listen. So that's something I always just try to take with me, especially just being a teammate. Like you have all different players on a team and people who are experiencing various things and experiencing even same situations, but in different ways. For me, it's really important to just get to know a person and listen. NBA Hall of Famer and Hawks owner Grant Hill. As we talk about diversity, we talk about embracing all that diversity is. It's not just ethnicity but it's, it's certainly gender. And, you know, to really have a full representation and have different perspective, different viewpoints at the table when you're making decisions, particularly in sports, I think the perspective of women is incredible. I think the evolution of women in sports, I think naturally lends itself to more women, not just in terms of being the athletes on the playing field, but also in the many positions uh, that exist in and around sport. You think about Title IX, and I'm going to reference something my dad says. I want to make sure I say it right because it may come off the wrong way. But he oftentimes says, and says, has said this publicly, that he's a a recovering sexist. And Mm -hmm. anyone married to Janet Hill knows that (laughs) an oxymoron. That doesn't exist. But I, I think... The way he says it or how he mentions that is that, look, his generation, as he was coming of age, born in 1947, obviously not just in sports, but in society, women were, in some respects, second-class citizens. And so as he's a reflection of that change and sort of has seen it, lived it. And so obviously as a champion for for women in sports and women in all industries, but I I think as you see women uh, excelling, and particularly in our country, whether it's in in various sports in the 80s and 90s, track and field and the WNBA and I think of the women's national team in soccer, I I think next it's in positions of coaching, positions of power, leadership positions, whether that's running teams, president of basketball operations. I think you're starting to see more women involved in those roles. I think that's on one hand, at least in the NBA, you feel, wow, we're being very progressive in all the professional sports leagues we might be ahead of the curve, but in reality, we're all behind and we're all playing catch up in that regard. 
Miss Asian Global Olivia Wong. One of my favorite concepts that Miracle Messages coined was that people are not homeless because they run out of money. It's because people run out of relationships. And when you run out of a relationship, you experience something called relational poverty. I myself am so privileged to have relational wealth. If I were to have a bad day, if I lost my job, if my partner broke up with me, you know, if I was in an abusive relationship, I would have someone to go to, maybe a couch to surf on. Someone might deposit some money in my bank account. But there's people in this world that don't have that connection. And to have the dearth of human relationships, I think, is the most severe type of poverty. It's more, to me, I think it's even more severe than finance because you can always get money back. But what happens when every single person in your life has given up on you? That's something that I've never experienced before. And the reason why that stands out to me so deeply is because you're right, I am a spiritual person. And I think that in life, we are all given relationships and we're not even shown how we're connected. That's the thing. Some of the best teachers in my life I have never even met. Because on the surface, they're my enemies, and yet they're my deepest teachers. They're the people who challenge me because they trigger me. And I think that in life, we have so many teachers and friends all around us, and we're all connected by this invisible thread. And only in these moments of miracles does God reveal that we're actually part of the same story. But we cross paths in different ways. If you like what you hear today, please leave us a five-star review, share this with a friend, and subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also become a part of the Enlightened Community by going to lisaborders.us to access bonus episodes, chances to connect with community, and engage in even deeper discussions. Thank you so much, and I look forward to talking with you.